Well, it's uh, so good to be with you guys as always. Um, if this is your first time or, or maybe you're, you're new to this gathering, uh, I just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you're here and that you had made the decision to, to worship with us today. Uh, for those of you, of you who are here uh, uh, last week, uh, we started a brand new sermon series to kick off uh, 2020 called Habits of Grace. Uh, Habits of Grace. And really, uh, the focus and intention of this uh, short, I think, short three-week sermon series is to encourage us as we go into a new year uh, to be diligent about practicing some essential gospel habits so that we will be transformed and live transformed lives. You see, as, as followers of Jesus, what we know to be certain is that we are Uh, people who are saved by grace, Uh, that there is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation and nothing we can do to keep uh, our salvation. But at the same time, we also believe that grace sanctifies us. That is, that we are changed. We become more like Christ by grace. But we also know, kind of simultaneous to that, is that This change, uh, it it does not happen without our effort. And so what we said last week is that while grace is opposed uh, to us earning our salvation, it it is not opposed to our effort in becoming more like Jesus. We are saved by grace, and at the same time, we engage in habits that are rooted in grace. And so that's really what this series is all about. Gospel habits that help us become more like Jesus for God's glory and our joy. Well, last week, again, if you're here with us, we talked about the significance of God's word, and and more specifically, the importance of storing up the word uh, in our hearts. That if we want to fulfill our purpose for being, our very purpose for being, if you want to glorify God with your life, if you want to enjoy him forever, we need to be people who practice storing up God's word in our hearts. We need to be people who value the word, who treasure the word. And part of doing that is reading it, studying it, uh, meditating on it, and we said memorizing it. Well, today uh, we're going to shift gears just a little bit, and we're going to turn to the gospel habit of prayer. Today we're going to be talking about prayer. I know in this gathering in particular, Way Church at least, uh, we just a f- several weeks ago we came out of doing a, ha- uh, a sermon series, short one, on prayer. Uh, but today uh, we're going to be talking about prayer again, so I guess prayer must be important. Right? Um, I don't think that this statement will come as a surprise to any one of us here. Uh, But most of us uh, really just aren't that good at prayer. Most of us aren't that good at prayer. Uh, In the book, A Praying Life, uh, a book I really highly recommend, uh, you can even write it down, A Praying Life by Paul Miller, uh, he says this, uh, and I'm paraphrasing. He says this, Western culture... He's referring to American culture there. Western culture, I think we have it on the screen. Western culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. Now, I know we're in Korea, okay, but most of us here 
are from a Western background. And even if you are Korean, uh, this place is very influenced by Western culture, specifically Christianity, okay? And so he says, I think it's really relevant. He says, Western culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. We are so busy that when we slow down to pray, we find it uncomfortable. We prize accomplishments and production. But prayer is nothing but talking to God. It feels useless. As if we are wasting our time, every bone in our body screams, like as we're praying, get to work. I don't know about you, but for me at least, uh, that hits home in a lot of ways. See, as a follower of Jesus, uh, like we all know that we need to pray. Okay, prayer is important. Right? I don't think, uh, here in this place, I don't think I need to convince you of that. But while the Bible is clear that disciples of Jesus are a praying people, it also reveals to us that there is a lot in this world that wages war against our hearts to keep us from being praying people. I think it's just in my observation, um, and hopefully you agree with this or you've seen this, but more than often than not, I, I think one of the main reasons that we don't pray or at least struggle to pray. The reason that prayer is uncomfortable uh, is because we are actually allergic to our helplessness. That's an interesting way to say it, I know. But I really think, in a lot of ways, we are allergic to our helplessness. See, we know that, that prayer reveals that we are totally dependent on God. We're totally dependent on the Lord. That's what prayer reveals, that there is nothing we can do without him. But that means then, then when we don't pray, we either, A, don't want to confront the reality of our dependence, or B, we actually don't believe that we are, we are in total need. One of those two things is typically true. And so in my experience then, the flip side of that, what keeps people praying the people I know in my life that sort of um, are gifted in prayer, are devoted to prayer, okay, they are people who have, have come to see their natural weakness and their own inability to control their own lives. When we get to a place, this is what it's going to take. We need to get to a place where we actually believe that we are helpless and dependent. I hope that makes sense. See, as long as we are under the illusion that we are strong, that we are in control of our lives, we will not pray. And I think that's why so many of us don't, or at least we're not committed to a life of prayer. Right? We might not say it like that, uh, but if we uncovered our hearts or sort of took the, the roof off of, our, off of our hearts, I think that's what we would find there. Uh, perhaps subtle, or perhaps a, a strong delusion that we are strong. Uh, I am in control when in reality we are so far from it. And so in a very real sense, uh, what, I hope, what I want us to know is that prayer communicates and shows that I believe and trust I am not as self-sufficient as I think I am. It shows that I am in need of what only my creator can provide. Prayer reveals that this life is not about what I can do, but
but about who he is and what he is able to do. Okay, and so let's just be really transparent as we sorry, talk about prayer. Uh, prayer is really hard. Uh, prayer is complicated. It takes effort. It takes discipline. It takes perseverance. Sometimes praying is a struggle. Sometimes praying is awkward. Some of you have been there. Sometimes praying, sometimes praying is really uncomfortable. And other times, I think maybe some of you are here today, sometimes we just feel so empty that we either don't want to pray or when we approach God in prayer, no idea what to say. Prayer is hard. But one way to bring freshness to your prayer life, uh, at least I found, is to learn from the prayers in the Bible. It's a good place to go. We talked about the importance of God's word last week. So if you want to know how to pray, why don't we look at the prayers that are in the Bible? That's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at one of the Apostle Paul's prayers found in Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 9 through 11. This is a really, really short prayer. Uh, But I believe it has the ability to help us reinvigorate our prayer lives and encourage us to be people who are devoted to prayer. So we're going to read this prayer together again. I know we read it during the the worship time, but we're going to read it again. And then we're going to uh, consider uh, Paul's words. So let's read this uh, prayer again. This is what the Apostle Paul says to the church at Philippi. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I think it's only fitting that uh, before we jump into this text, uh, I pray really short. Let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, we ask you today to simply help us to be people of prayer Uh, Help us to not see prayer as an activity, but as a vital means of communing with you, walking with you, trusting you, and loving you. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So what can we learn, then, uh, from Paul here to reboot our prayer lives and be a praying people? I want to give you four points Uh, today. Hopefully we'll reboot your prayer life. And the first one is this. Uh, If we want to reboot our prayer lives, number one, uh, we need to pray in light of the gospel. Pray in light of the gospel. I want us to begin by looking at what Paul says about the gospel. But before we look at our own specific passage, Uh, 1 verse 9 through 11, I want us to consider the whole context. So this is going to require you actually to have your Bible open or your phone open. Okay, these script, these, it's not going to be on the screen. But what I want you to sort of do is scan through the whole section of Philippians chapter 1. Okay, with me. And as you do that, you might notice the term, uh, the gospel pops up again and again and again uh, through this section. Okay? Paul was clearly a gospel-centered man. Track with me here, because um, again, it's not on the screen. Look at what it says. Philippians 1, uh, verse 5, we see it first. He talks about their partnership 
in the gospel. Then verse 7, scanning down, he says, You are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of what? The gospel. Verse 16, he tells them why he's there. He says, I am put here for what? The defense of the gospel. And then in verse 27, he tells the church, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. He goes on, same verse. Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of, there it is again, the gospel. I want us to keep in mind here that the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the church. He's talking to the church here. He's not talking specifically in this context to unbelievers. Okay, we know that the Apostle Paul, uh, he was deeply committed to the spread of the gospel. We see that all throughout his letters. Okay? We see it certainly here in the book of Philippians. We see it other places, like in Romans chapter 1. He starts off that letter to the Romans in verse 1 that he says, I have been set apart for the gospel of God. Same chapter, verse 15, he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. So who he was, what he was sent to do, and what he was going to, uh, to do when he was with them was very, very clear. Likewise, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, he tells them, I'm eager to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel to you. That's why I'm going to you. That's why I'm eager to see you. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, <coughs> he says again that Christ sent me to do what? To preach the gospel. Right? All of these, by the way, again, it's worth repeating, all of these are written to Christians. And there are so many more examples. And so why does Paul, specifically Paul, but really the whole of the New Testament, why does Paul talk about the gospel so much? Why are there so many reminders, especially to Christians? Right? So some of us here, we think, it gets easy to think that when we talk about spreading the gospel, we're talking about giving the good news to non-believers. Right? That's what we do with the gospel. Right? We spread the gospel to unbelievers. But what we see here and primarily in the New Testament, is that when the authors are saying, I'm coming to share the gospel, it wasn't to unbelievers, it was to believers. And so why is that? Why is it so important that Christians, the church, continues to hear the gospel? Well, that begs the question, what is the gospel? Okay, what is the gospel? We're actually going to be doing an entire sermon series uh, next month on the gospel, okay? Like five weeks all about the gospel. Uh, But let me give you uh, one man's thoughts on the gospel. His name was William Tyndale. Some of you have heard that name before. Uh, There's a publishing company, Tyndale Publishers, named after this guy. William Tyndale, the first person to translate the entire Bible in English. It happened in the 1500s. Uh, and he was actually martyred for that. Okay? He was killed uh, for translating the Bible into English. Um, but he defined the gospel this way. He says, Evangelion, or Evangelion, uh, it's a Greek word there. Uh, my cold doesn't let me say it in the best Greek way there. But he says, is a Greek word signifying good, merry, glad, 
and joyful news that does what? I like this. That makes a man's hearts uh, that makes a man hearts uh, hearts glad and makes him sing, dance, and leap for joy. Okay. So next week, men. Okay, my expectation for you during the worship, the praise, that so you're hearing the gospel is that you be up there, you know, doing your jig, okay? Uh, right? Should, that's what the gospel does, right? When you understand the gospel, this is the response, he says. I think because of that, I think this is a really great definition. Um, and later on, he goes on to explain what that joyful news is. But, like, what is this joyful news? Right? What would make a man sing? What would make a, a man dance? Right, think of the guys in this place, in this room. What would make them like leap for joy? Right? Not much, right? but, but I think the gospel should. And so what's this announcement? Well, we know it's, it's the good news of what God has accomplished in Jesus Christ. That through Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, God saves sinners and makes them sons and daughters forever. That in Jesus, this is the gospel, that in Jesus, God is for us. That in Jesus, we are entirely forgiven, made citizens of the kingdom. Our debt is paid. We are declared righteous. We are adopted into God's forever family, freed from condemnation, rescued from Satan's rule, filled with the Holy Spirit, given access to the living God, and belong to him forever. It's the gospel. And how do we get it? And we get all of these things. We get all of this access through faith in Christ alone. Through a living in Jesus alone. Not because of anything that we have done, but all because of what he has done. And so now you can understand why this, this news right, would make a person dance or sing or leak for joy. It's, a, it's hopelessness to hope. It's desperation to destiny, right? the good news of the gospel, the victory report. And so what we need to see here then is that, is that Paul reminds the church. He, he's trying to remind you and I, the church, of the gospel because just for the simple fact that it is joyful news that needs reminding, that we have a tendency to forget this good news. And so we need to be reminded of the good news over and over and over again. But also, this is really important today, but also because the gospel changes everything. The gospel affects everything, and that includes your prayer life. You see, because of all that Jesus has done for you and I, we now have direct access to the living God in prayer. And so the gospel literally makes prayer possible. Without the gospel and the work of Jesus, without his grace, we would not have access to the Father. The gospel gives us access. The gospel also provides comfort to us in prayer. Because in Jesus, God, we know, God is our good father who actually wants to hear from his kids. That's a hard one for me to grasp. That God is not cruel and unkind. He's not that type of father. That actually, we are not wasting his time when we pray. Some of you need to hear that. 
Some of you, uh, maybe at home, you have a father who really doesn't listen, sort of absent. Maybe culturally, you talk and he's not really interested. And you bring that into your prayer life. I wonder if God wants to hear from me. I wonder if he's listening to me. No, that's not the gospel. That's not the truth. We have a good father who desires deeply to hear from you. You're never wasting his time. His intentions towards you are always good. And what that means then is that you can actually go to him messy, stumbling, stuttering, uh, with lots and lots of uncertainty and questions, knowing that you are his. It provides us comfort in prayer. The gospel also provides us confidence in prayer. Because we know that the God that we belong to is not limited in any way. That he is perfect in goodness, infinite in power, and immeasurable in wisdom. Which means that we can pray big, bold, I'll use another word, audacious prayers. Knowing that he can do anything that we ask in accordance to his will. The gospel also provides us joy in prayer because it reminds us that the God to whom we belong to is infinitely wise and he will always do what's best with our prayers. We know this, that God will not always answer in the exact way that we want. We know that, but what we also know to be true is that he will always listen and he will always do what's best. God hears you. And he will do what's best for you. And that should bring you great joy when you go to him in prayer. And there's others. But the last thing I want to point out is that there is great freedom in prayer because of the gospel. Yes, we know this, that we lack as human beings. We are weak. We are sinful. And we are guilty. But we have nothing to prove to God because of the gospel. We don't approach him based on merit, but based on the merit of his son. And so what that means is such good news. What that means is that we can act ourselves before God. Some of you here, you really struggle just with that, just a struggle entering a room and being yourself. Depending on the room that you enter, you become a different person. But you can totally be yourself before God the Lord. Totally be yourself. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to use like a super high holy voice like up in ivy tower. You don't all of a sudden have to become like this great theologian right when you pray. You can just be yourself. You can go to him uh, free because you're free. And so when it and so when we come to terms with the gospel that's why this is so important. Uh When we come to terms with the gospel, uh, understanding all that God is and all that he has achieved for for us, it totally affects our prayer life. It transforms us, actually. Knowing that we get access, we get comfort, we get confidence, joy, and freedom, that will cause us to want to pray. Uh, And none of those things are possible uh, without the gospel. So this, to me, is really the first 
first clear step to rebooting your prayer life. We need to start here. Pray in light of the gospel. Meditate on who God is. Let those truths of who he is warm your heart. And then from there, think, maybe even write down, try, the many implications of the gospel. Try to do that. Have you ever done that? Writing down all of the implications of the gospel, right? Writing down all the things that are true of you now because of your faith in Jesus. That'd be a long list. But I promise you that will be an encouragement to you. There's no better way to reboot your prayer life. There's no better way to start prayer than by recalling first who God is and then who you are in Jesus. That's number one. Rebooting your prayer life. You want to do that? Pray in light of the gospel. Number two. Number two. Pray for what is excellent. Pray for what is excellent. It's an interesting English word. Pray for what is excellent. What is excellent? Like pizza? I don't know. Okay. I think, yeah. Someone got it. Yeah, someone. Is that you, Nate? Someone got it. Ninja Turtle reference. All right. That was pizza. Excellent. Yeah, okay. Some of you, uh, some of you are born when that was like, that Ninja Turtles came out. So anyway. All right. You got to cut that too, Deha. Sorry. This is bad. Right, here's where we, though, this is where we dive into Paul's prayer. Okay, it only took us like 25 minutes. This is what he says. Okay? He says, and it, again, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is, there it is again, excellent. If you like to study the scriptures, um, this is classic Paul here. A big run-on sentence. A lot of words, a little bit confusing, okay? But I'll, it's a lot more simple than it looks. Okay, there are really three, I'll call them three movements to this prayer. Okay, it's not, actually not that complicated when you look at it this way. Okay, at first glance, I think this is the first mistake. At first glance, it looks like Paul is just praying for our love here. Right, he says, because he says, I'm praying that your love may abound, which means grow, I I'm praying that your love may grow more and more. And so we take that and say, oh, the Apostle Paul, he's just praying that the church, like he wants us to just be really loving people, love God more, love people more. Well, certainly that's important, but that's not what he's getting at here. Okay, read the text closely. This this prayer is not just about abounding or growing in love. This prayer is that this abounding love would actually lead us somewhere. He says that this abounding love, the prayer is that it would lead us to approve what is excellent. Or other translations say to discern what is best. So the Apostle Paul here, he's praying that our love would grow for a very specific reason. He's not just saying that he hopes our love would grow uh, like for love's sake, that we would have this over flowing love just for the sake of love. No, there's a very specific reason. And what is it? That we would approve what is excellent. That we would approve what is excellent. That's the key here. And so what does that mean? What is, what's going on here? What is Paul getting at? What he's referring to here, I think is a really simple 
but profound truth. There's a couple different ways we could say this, but I'll try to simplify it for us. Paul's prayer here is that is that we would understand that, that what we love in the depths of our being, that what we love in the deeps profoundly influences how we live and the decisions that we make. That's ultimately what this is about. So to make that really personal for you, like what Paul is saying here is, what you love in your depths this year will profoundly influence the direction of your life this year. That's really what he's saying. See, what you admire, what you treasure, what you desire in in the deeps, in the depths of you, affects even the everyday decisions of life that you make. That's what Paul's really getting at. And, And notice that he is praying that this love would abound with what? Two characteristics. With knowledge and with discernment. And so understand as well, this is, he's referring here to a very specific quality of love as well, right? This is not, when we hear, see in English, right, we, we hear that word love and automatically our thoughts go to like, oh, he's praying for a love, like this gushy, mushy, sentimental, right, movie love. Not at all. Disconnected to that, right? Unplug that thought, okay? This is a type of love, he's saying, It's marked with knowledge of God. It's marked with the knowledge of the gospel, which is the greater context. And also it's a love marked by discernment, he says. And what is discernment? Discernment is seeing what's best in life's various circumstances. If you are a discerning person, if you're gifted that way, you have the ability to see what is best in a number of circumstances, right? You're able to say, okay, there's like 15 options here. None of them are right. None of them are wrong. But I can discern what's the best path for me moving forward, okay? So you say that you would have a love. It's sort of interesting to think of it this way. But he said that you'd have a, a love that is rooted and connected to the ability to do that. So if we put this together, then, again, trying to simplify this, Put this together. I tried to think of a way to describe this, and it's, it's a little bit difficult. And I just came up with this. Like, this is, he's referring to here is a, it's a Christian love. Okay. It, it's a Christian love that's marked by knowledge of God, the gospel, and insight into how life works. That's the type of love that he is bound in the depths of our being. And when this love is growing and overflowing, what he says here is that it will actually transform your daily decisions and interactions. That you will know, because of that love in you, that is rooted in like wisdom, discernment, okay, knowledge, because you have that love in you, you will discern what is best for your life. He's saying you'll have a heart that's aligned with God's values and God's priorities. That as this love grows up in you, your thoughts will become his thoughts. Your ways will become his ways. And so even in gray areas of life, and let's be really clear about this as well, the majority majority of life's decisions, they are not black and white. They are gray. And so how do you decide, left or right? 
which way to go, up, down. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're gray. And so how do you know? How do you know? Well, what he's saying is, and this is so encouraging, he's saying if you are abounding in love, you'll actually know how to navigate those gray areas. You'll be able to discern what is best. You'll know how to do things like, or, or understand, like, what's a good usage of your time? You'll be able to discern, like, what you should be reading, what relationships you should be investing in, how to work, how much you should work, how to steward your friendships, right? How to steward your money, how to use the gifts that God has given you. And of course, you'll be able to discern how to pray. I love this prayer uh, because it gets really just straight to the heart. He says, to reboot your prayer life, right? We have to be praying for this type of love, that it would abound with greater knowledge of God, greater understanding of the gospel, and greater insight into how life works so that you'll be able to approve what is excellent as you go about your day-to-day life. Okay, so it's that important to your life. Okay. Number three, number three. We pray with the day of Christ in view. We pray with the day of Christ in view. The Apostle Paul goes on, by the way, I told you to run on, it's the same sentence. We're in the exact same sentence. So he says all of this, makes all these points, same sentence. He says, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So Paul begins by talking about this, this abounding love that is anchored in a growing knowledge of God. Right? Growing knowledge of the gospel. Growing knowledge into how life works. That ultimately manifests itself in discerning what is best. So that, what? Why? He tells us here. So that our lives are filled with fruit. That's what this is all about in a lot of ways. He is praying for them, praying for the church, therefore praying for us, that we would have fruit-filled lives on the day of Christ. That is, when Jesus returns for the church. Okay. Now, we can't make this mistake that, um, and read this like Paul is being threatening here. Okay, if you, it could sort of read that way, that tone, but it's, it's not... It's not correct. Like, you could read this and be like, wow, Paul's telling me, like, be sure to be fruitful because Jesus is coming, right? Like, you better have a fruitful life because Jesus is coming soon. Um, That's not what he's doing here. This is much more of an encouragement, right? The Apostle Paul, he's like, he's sort of saying, I just want you to live with Jesus' return in view. Let me encourage you to live each day with that day in view, Right? We have to know this, that the future is not open-ended. Right? The day of Christ is coming. The turning point is right around the corner. It might be today. Okay? It could actually be tomorrow. And that reality should affect how we see life and certainly how we pray. The reality of his second coming should affect how you pray. And if the future 
is a big open nothingness. I was thinking about this this week. Like, if the future was just this big open nothingness, like if the earth and the universe is just all winding down, like burning up, right, if there's nothing after all of this, there really is not a lot of motivation to pray. It's just, it is what it is, right? But, but knowing Jesus is returning, right? Knowing that we are on our way home, I think it motivates us to pray, right? It encourages us to pray, and it changes and forms the way that we pray. And so in light of the second coming, Paul says here, pursue holiness and blamelessness with your life. Pray to, to live, to actually live fruit-filled lives because Jesus is coming back to bring you to himself. Jesus is calling us to recognize, Paul, I guess here, is calling us to recognize our identity as citizens of heaven here. He's saying, know who you are. Know and believe that we are righteous because of Christ's righteousness. And so until he comes, Paul says, pray for fruit. Right? Follow Jesus closely, living, a, living with a certainty of that coming day. Be blameless, spotless before the Lord. Speak the gospel, live the gospel, do as much good work as you can. Be fruitful until he arrives. When you pray, have his return in view. Right? Have an eternal perspective. Those of you who have been around here for any amount of time, you know I say it all the time. Okay? Your perspective is your reality. Okay? Your perspective is your reality. So what's your perspective as you approach prayer? Are you focused down on your circumstances? Okay, are you looking up at the big picture and the reality that Jesus is coming soon? You know, change the way that you pray. Number four, our last point today. We'll get to some practical application after this. Number four, pray with God as the center. Pray with God as the center. You want to reboot your prayer life? Pray with God as the center. We talked about this during our prayer uh, series, but we know, right, God is the center of our prayers, should be the center of our prayers. Our prayers are not me-centered. They're him-centered, right? Those of us particularly, those of us from a Western context, right, we've been preached individualism over and over and over again. Life is about me. It's about you all the time. We have a tendency, I think, even when we come into our prayer lives to go to God and it right away it becomes about me. God, I just need, God, I just want, God, will you just do that? Instead of just, okay, why am I praying? What is this about? What's the focus of my prayer? It's about you. God, you're awesome. You're mighty. You're excellent. You're wonderful. I'm recounting who he is, understanding who he is. Then I get to who I am in light of who he is. Then I can start making my requests be made known to God, okay? Paul ends his prayer with these words, though. He says, to the glory and praise of God. It's really easy to pass by these words and not get the full weight of them. Uh, But what's being said here is really central to the prayer, central to the text. Paul is revealing to us here why he prays and why we should pray too. That's that important, that little phrase, to the glory and praise of God. Right? Maybe we should have started there. (laughs) Uh, but, but what is prayer? Again, what is prayer? Well, it's communing with God. It's talking to the creator. It's walking with the central glory of the universe. Wrap your mind around that. That when you pray, you are walking alongside 
with the central glory of the universe. You get to do that. Right? Prayer is not just a mere routine discipline. Okay, this is how you actually develop a relationship with the Lord through prayer. And so again, prayer is not just something that you do. Prayer is actually a relational belonging. And because that is true, we have to fight to not see prayer as an activity and instead, when we pray, to truly focus on the one to whom we are praying to. When you pray, are you actually focusing on the one whom you're praying to? Fight for that. Right? Prayer is it's cultivating this relationship. It's, again, it's communication. Just like you would cultivate any other type of significant relationship in your life. It takes communication, cultivation. Same with prayer. So as you approach prayer, another thing to know, and it's worth this saying, is that we do not pray to just get things. Okay, we pray to remind ourselves, actually, what we have in Jesus, namely that we have Jesus himself. I think typically when our prayer lives dissolve, our, and specifically when, you're, when our prayer lives become cold or rigid, sometimes I've heard it said that, like, uh, my, uh, I've heard it written once that uh, my prayer life becomes mathematical almost, like formulaic. Uh, it's routine. Right? It's hard, cold. I think that happens because when we pray, we actually lose sight of who we're actually praying to. And so if you are in that place now or, or you find yourself in the, that place, maybe even this year, uh, my advice to you, simple, just remember who you're praying to. This is our friend, our help in need, our rock, our mighty fortress, our deliverer. It's the Lord, the creator, the sustainer. Right? This is the father who actually loves to hear the voice of his children. Right? You need to know like this father, he is near to you. He's listening to you. Again, he desires deeply to know you and to have fellowship with you. Like if you are in Christ today, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus as Lord, you are known and loved by God. So go to him. Go to him. Understand what an amazing honor, what a privilege we have because of the gospel. Think about this. Think about this. You probably heard this at a hundred times, right? Maybe it's a thousand times. Listen again. Think of this. You get to pray. Like tonight, when you go home, you lay in your bed, and it's just you there. You get to pray. You get the opportunity to pray. So let me ask you today, how is your prayer life? What does your current prayer life say about your dependence on God? And what does it say about your desire to know him? If someone was watching your life, observing your life, and all they had to go off of was just watching your prayers, what would they say about you? Would they consider you a dependent person? 
that you have an actual relationship with that God? I know the majority of us here uh, know, heard, read C.S. Lewis, former atheist, became a Christian apologist. Uh, I love what he says about prayer. Look at this quote. He says, I pray because I can't help myself. Now, understand what that means. He's like, He's saying, like, I literally, like, I cannot save myself. That's what he's saying, right? Not that I can't help myself, right? He's saying, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. He reiterates it. He says, prayer doesn't change God. It changes me. So is that how you see yourself today? Do you even feel like you need to pray? If you want to live a transformed life, you need to pray. And if we want to see God move in this gathering, collectively, corporately, we need to pray. We need to pray. Last week when it came to getting in God's word, uh, I sort of made the decision to give you a few practical tips. Uh, I'm going to close today by doing the same. I don't, you know me, I don't always give you like all these really practical tips and stuff like that, especially that are not directly in God's word. Uh, But I'm going to do that again today. Um, And again, just know these are not commands. These are just suggestions, okay, based on things that I've read, personal experience, conversation with friends and people who I know have really dynamic prayer lives, all right? These aren't going to be on the screen. Um, We can keep that quote up there. Um, So if you're a person who really likes to take notes, um, I'll slow down at the points as we run through them quick, and you can just listen. Okay, so just some tips from me uh, if you want to have a dynamic prayer life this year. Uh, number one, really obvious, very obvious. You've heard it before, trust me. Number one, schedule a time and a place. Pretty simple, schedule a time and a place. If you want to make prayer a priority this year, if you want to make prayer a reality this year, if you want to be consistent with your prayer life, I'm telling you, telling you, you need to do this. You need to schedule a time. You need to schedule a place. Set an alarm, put it in your calendar, and then protect that time. Right? If, if this is a meeting with God, just think of it that way. Think of it in this category. If, if prayer is meeting with God, how do you approach every other meeting that you have in your life? What do you do throughout the day? You schedule it. Some of you have like really detailed planners. And like every hour of your life is set and scheduled. The school day, work, who you're meeting with, business lunches, all that stuff. And then at night, who you're meeting with. You're always with somebody doing something. That's how you approach It's what we do, right? And we protect that time. And especially if it's a really important meeting, if somebody asks us, hey, what are you doing Thursday night, 7 o'clock? You're like, oh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, busy this week. Can we move it to Friday? How about Monday, Tuesday? Any other time will work, but you can't take that time. We do that, but why don't we do that when it comes to meeting God? What could possibly be better usage of your time? Who could, at the end of the service, any of you come to me and tell me a meeting you have this week that's more important than you meeting with God? Spouse, kids, president, go ahead, try. More important than you meeting with God. Schedule time, schedule time, schedule the place. Otherwise, I don't think you'll do it. 
I know that's true for me. Number two, start with the Bible. Start with Scripture. This is especially for those of you who feel stuck, um, who don't know what to pray anymore. You feel lost in prayer. Let me encourage you, simply start with the Scriptures. There's a reason we started with the Scriptures last week. What do I mean by that? Agree with the Scriptures. Pray the promises of Scriptures. Declare the truths of the Scriptures. Ask for help in following his ways. I don't have this in my notes. I did this during the first service. Um, do, you have, do you have the ability? Can you put up Psalm 23? It's not in my notes. I know I'm already over time, but you'll, you'll be okay. Can you do that? All right. What does it look like? I'm praying through the scriptures. Okay? So I would approach, this, approach the word, and I would just look at it. What's it say? A Psalm of David. Lord is my shepherd. God, help me to see you as Lord of my life. That's who you are. That's your name. I want my life to reflect that you are Lord. I am not. You are my shepherd. It means you guide me, you lead me, you protect me. And because of that, I shall not want. There's, not nothing, there's nothing I need, there's nothing I desire because you are my shepherd. As the Lord, you make me lay down in green pastures. You lead me beside still waters. You restore my soul. God, you take me to good places. You have good things in store for me. You bring me to places of peace. You're a God who restores, who gives me rest. When life is full of anxiety and anxiousness, I can depend on you, that you're going to lead me to the right place. You lead me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. For your glory, in Christ, I am set free. I have been imputed with the righteousness of Christ. Jesus, thank you for the gospel. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even though I go through difficult circumstances, situations, trials, troubles, all of them might come my way, but I have no fear, no anxiety. Why? Because you are with me as my shepherd. You're always there. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even when you discipline me, it's for my good. When you're leading me in places I don't want to go or that I can't see, I know they're for my good. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You get it? Get the point? Go through the Psalms. Declare the promises, the truths of Scripture. Pray through the Scriptures. It's a great way to pray. Start with the Bible. Number three. Number three. Kind of a three-parter. It's quick, though. Part three. Number three. Pray specific. Pray big. Pray bold. Pray specific. Pray big. Pray bold. That's a tip. That's sort of my advice to you. Uh, I'm going to loosely recommend a book to you. I'm going to say it again so I don't get misquoted. I am going to loosely recommend a book to you. That's another, so what that means is when you get this book and you read it, you're going to be like, Pastor James, his theology is this? No. Okay? I'm saying that there's some good parts and good principles of this book. Some of it, throw it away. Okay? The book is called The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. Okay? The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. Uh, my approach to the book, take the meat, throw out the bones. Okay? Some really good principles in there. What did it do for me? Well, pretty simple. Um, it really helped me to stretch my prayer life. Uh, what, what I mean by that is, after reading that book, and throughout, what I realized was that in general, my prayers were really, really small 
compared to how big God is. And that a lot of my small, small prayers were actually rooted in a lack of faith. Right? We serve an unbelievably big God who we say can do anything. All of us theologically would say, he can do anything. But how many of us pray prayers that match that theology? That's what that book helped me to do. And so I just uh, started, you know, praying sort of bigger prayers that only God could do. That there's no way in myself I could see these things happen in my life. Um, it helped me a lot. And so, and then with that, like, let me encourage you, if you don't already do this, maybe create a journal, start a journal, record answered prayers. And that's why I said pray specific. I think sometimes we pray in a really general way because we're afraid that God won't come through on our prayers. Did you hear me? I think sometimes we pray in a way that gives God an out. Now, I want to be careful when I say that. But I think we pray in a way that kind of covers him. That, well, if he doesn't do this or he doesn't come through, he's still God, right? We pray sort of with that hesitation sometimes, right? I'm not saying, and and this is just an example, and I don't think there's anything wrong with this, but I think when I was at Liberty, um, one of the co-founders, Elmer Towns, uh, professor of New Testament, he taught New Testament for like 45 years. It was really interesting. There was a professor at the school. It was, uh, I believe it was the 1980s, had cancer. Okay. Uh, Liberty, by the way, it's an uh, uh, independent Baptist school. Okay? And so, of course, like the staff, they were praying. They were praying. And when they would pray for this professor, they would bring him in, and they would lay hands on him, and they would pray. Um, and, they, and Elmer Towns, he would, he would say, we would, he said, even me, I would intentionally start my prayers for this man. God, like, if it's your will, if it's your will, please heal this man. If it's your desire for this man to be healed, please heal him. Whether he lives or he dies. And it was just kind of this, in this way, nothing wrong with that prayer. But, but interestingly enough, um, and he has no reason to manufacture this story because it doesn't paint him or the professors or the school in a good light. Okay? But he says that they, they were praying, 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 and nothing was happening. And finally, um, there was a church down the road, and it was actually a, it was a more Pentecostal charismatic church. And they were just desperate. And so they said the professors at Liberty, which at that time was very conservative, they were just desperate for this, their brother. And so they went to this like Pentecostal church and like, would you actually, you and the elders and leadership, would you come and pray? Pray for our, our friend. And of course, absolutely, right? So they come. And he, he describes this. I wish I had it on tape. Um, but he describes this prayer. And he said, just when they opened their mouth, just the faith and the boldness, it was just like, in Jesus' name. It was like, he will. Like, they were declaring him healed. And he said, that year, God did something so special in that staff. Because after that prayer, Two days later, that the, the professor went back to the doctor. He was healed. After months of these faithful, God-fearing men praying, not seeing anything happen, 
seeing other faithful men come. Now, what am I saying? Like, there's magic powers in the one church and not in here? No, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, God sometimes has a tendency, he listens to bold, specific, audacious prayers where you're putting him in that place. God, you can do this. You know, you know, you get the point. Okay? So do our, I'm just asking the question, does your prayer life reflect your theology? That's all I'm asking. Okay? I'll leave it at that. Four, uh, keep it fresh. Okay? Keep your prayer life fresh. Uh, what I mean by that is uh, change it up. Like we just, I showed you an example, praying through scripture, right? Pray through the Psalms. Uh, pray, some of you love to listen to praise and worship. Pray through the lyrics of praise and worship. Um, some of you I can really recommend, maybe we can share a link of this. Um, Dr. Uh, Cho, who is the lead pastor at Yoido Full Gospel Church, um, he had established something called the, the a tabernacle prayer. Um, really good, uh, very strong. Um, just a way to sort of humbly approach God um, through the stages of the tabernacle. Really interesting. Um, maybe you want to specifically uh, emph- have a different emphasis each day of the week. So maybe Monday, you're praying for family. Tuesday, the lost. Like Wednesday, you're, you're, you know, your missional family. Thursday, you know, you, your school. Whatever, you get the point. But maybe you're switching up that way. Um, you could read a book on prayer. I already recommended you, uh, Paul Miller, A Praying Life. I can recommend to you anything by E.M. Bounds. Fantastic. Fantastic. He wrote like 20 books on prayer, um, and he's good. E.M. Bounds, great. Okay? And then number five, last one. Last one, then we're done. This is just a quote from, made famous by the Puritans. Okay? It's a quote. It said, sometimes you need to pray yourself into prayer. It's advice for you, for me. Sometimes you need to pray yourself into prayer. Sometimes you need to pray yourself into prayer. What does, what does that mean? Well, the point is simple. There are times when you're not going to feel like praying. Pray anyway. There are times when you don't know what to say. Stumble your way through it. Fight through it. Push yourself to pray. Okay, there are going to be times in your life those of you who pray, you know this. There are going to be in your life you don't want to pray. And I have some unfortunate news for you. That never goes away with your spiritual maturity. It doesn't. I will give you one example of this. And we're done. Close friend of mine. Uh, some of you know him. Uh, Pastor Jay. Um, he's one of the founders of Way Church. Um, since I've known him for the last 10 years, um, his greatest quality and gift um, is prayer. Um, a lot of the reason that I listen to him, some of you know he's a crazy guy, some of the reason that I listen to him um, and, and have decided to partner with, partner with him is just because of his prayer life. Um, he and I, we met uh, about a week and a half ago, and we were talking about like our goals for 2020, vision for 2020, and sort of our own spiritual like disciplines and where, where were our goals for 2020 for ourselves. I was sharing some about me. And he shared with me um, his goal for 2020. Ready? His goal in 2020 is that every day he would pray five hours a day. Last year, last year, three and a half hours a day. He's faithful to it. 
this year, five hours a day. So I said, well, what does that look like for you? And um, he sent it to me. He says, well, that means I have to wake up and have since January 1st, 3.45 a.m., shower, exercise. From 4.30 to 7.30, I pray. I have then, he has three potential scheduled midday 30-minute sessions, so depending on his schedule. So he'll pray 30 minutes in the midday during lunch, and then he finishes the day praying from 9 p.m. to 10.30 p.m., and then goes to bed after that, and then he starts again. And then Thursday nights, Thursday nights, he reverses it, and he goes up to Prayer Mountain, and it's three hours at night. And he actually took me up there. Um, It's intense, um, but really interesting. Um, Actually, he took me to a place where his mother uh, has been faithfully praying for decades. Took me to his mom's rock, prayer rock. rock. There are actually uh, knee prints embedded in the stone because she's been there for so long. And now his knees, his knees are in, those, in that stone as well. It's, it's incredible um, to place my knees in there, um, to think of the hours, the years, the decades of prayer that have happened in that place. And now he's sort of picking up that mantle. Um, he does it. He's there every Thursday. He sends me a message every single Thursday night. I'm going up there. I'm praying for you. Give me your requests, whatever. But, you know, I I share that with you, not to be like, I'll never do that. I can never do that. Um, I'm not sharing that with you. He started, I I told him, I asked him, like, what would you tell a congregation? He said, for me, when I I was just starting, it started with praying for 10 minutes a day. Just get 10 minutes a day. And he said, you know, there's no difference trying to pray 10 minutes a day 30 years ago and now praying five hours a day. I still don't want to do it. I want to hit my alarm every single morning. Every night I get in my car to drive up to the woods, I always want to turn around. Almost every single time. But I choose to be disciplined. I choose to be disciplined because I need it. I cannot live without it. That's what he said that he would tell you if you were here. Cannot live without it. Um, Prayer is a struggle. It's hard. If you're just beginning as a new Christian, if your aim is prayer of day. It's hard. It's hard. But oftentimes, and if you just want to get out of a prayerless life, all you got to do sometimes, you just got to stop and go pray. So if you want to be transformed, if we want this gathering to be transformed and see God move here collectively, corporately, we need to pray. So let's be people who are devoted to this habit of grace. Let's devote ourselves to prayer, first and foremost, in light of the gospel. Amen? Let's pray.